Hello, and welcome again to the Curious Wanderer Bible Study. Today we'll continue in Genesis, uh, Genesis 5 and 6, with the transition to Noah and the beginning of his story. Today I'd like to talk a little bit or use some of the information from episode 1, namely the axioms or basic beliefs that we can get from the first two chapters of Genesis. And so I'd just like to recap um, those. So the first axiom we had was everything depends on God. And that was axiom one. Uh, comes from, in part, just seeing that in the beginning there was God, and God created the universe. The second axiom is that communication built and maintains the world. So um, God spoke the universe into existence. Um, at each thing, at each day, God spoke and things were created. Um, along the lines of communication are the next two axioms, three and four. Communication requires steps, which we see from the steps in Genesis uh, 1 about what happened on each day. Um, and that communication requires a perspective or vantage point. So where are you coming from when you're communicating? Um, Genesis 1 talks about sort of the whole universe being created and man at the end. Genesis 2 comes at it from a slightly different perspective and looks at man from a man's creation perspective, from man's creation perspective. Um, the last three are different than the communication ones. Um, we're meant for community. We see that from um, on day six after God has created everything he declares everything very good. At the end of each day, he declares things good, but at the end of ev the last day, when everything's together, he declares it very good. We are meant to be together. Um, the sixth one is the more removed from God we are, the more vulnerable we are. We see that in Eve um, being, uh, she's not told the rule, we don't think at least, it doesn't say so in the Bible. It says Adam is told the rule about not eating from the tree of the fruit of knowledge the fruit of the tree of knowledge, sorry. But it's after God tells Adam that, that God creates Eve. So Eve didn't hear at least that statement of it. Um, and last is that God has a plan and backup plans. God had a plan for creating the universe and he followed that plan. And then whenever Adam and Eve sinned, um, uh, he had a plan for both. They had to be expelled from Eden, but he did give them animal skins to start with. He did, he had a plan for them. There were consequences, and then there was an immediate attempt as well to reconnect with them. Okay, so the seven axioms. Um, so Genesis 5 um, starts uh, our transition away from Adam and Eve and the Cain and Abel story into Noah. So it's an interesting transition, Genesis 5. It feels a lot like a, just a dull litany of begats. This one was the son of this guy who lasted so long, etc. Um, but it's actually much more than that. So if you remember from the seven axioms, um, the, the third one in particular, that communication requires steps. In Genesis 4, just before this, we have Adam and Eve and Seth their third son, who Seth is going to give rise to Noah eventually. 
um, we need to get from that perspective, from that setting, to Noah with continuity, so we can start to hear about the Noah story. We can't just transition, wipe, go from one screen to another like they would do in a movie, because that leaves you disconnected. Um, we need a connection there. We need to change our vantage point. We had the vantage point of early creation, and then we need to get this new vantage point, and we have to step through to get there. And so Genesis 5 provides that transition, or at least part of it. Um, so we're using, we're seeing both axioms 3, needing steps, and 4, perspective um, and communication coming to play here in chapter 5. Um, so how long has it been since creation till Noah? Um, and what's happened on the earth during that time? That's what Genesis 5 is trying to tell us. So we can answer these questions. Um, first, if we add up the ages of the fathers when they had their sons, it totals up to 1,056 years. So from Adam to Noah's birth was 1,056 years. And then we hear that Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. So that is 1,656 years um, till the flood. So a lot of time there. And so it's an interesting question about well, what's been going on. Um, so at least we have some context, though, about how long it's been. Um, so what's going on in the intervening years? There's a lot of generations, and we hear the sons of sons of sons. Um, we hear that they walked a certain number of years, or they were alive a certain number of years, and then they died. There's this pattern. But Enoch, um, a couple of generations before Noah, breaks the pattern. So for Enoch, when we hear about his life, altogether, so from Genesis 5:23 to 24, altogether Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. So Enoch was the only one that was described as walking faithfully with God. Um, that same phrase, walking faithfully with God, is also used for Moses, so it's a very strong phrase. Um, so there was at least one really good guy in those 1,656-year interval, or 1,056 if we just count from Adam to Noah's birth. Um, and he was so good that he was one of only two people in the Bible who did not die, but who was taken away by God. Elijah is the other one. Um, so there was at least one really good guy in those intervening years. But we don't hear much of anything else. Uh, so that lack of statement provides a bit of context that feels like things maybe have been going a bit sideways. And then in chapter 6, we have an interesting transition before we hear about Noah describing the Nephilim um, as the children of the marriage of the sons of God with women. Um, we hear about this in verses 1 through 4. Uh, so, give me a moment. I lost track of... So, in the NIV version... When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, their days will be a hundred and twenty years. 
the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and, as, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. So, we do know, in those intervening years that we have, the Nephilim, um, the daughters of men and of uh, sons of God. Now, interestingly, um, one of the uses of the genealogy and the transition in chapter 5, where we hear about Adam begetting Seth and Seth begetting and so on, to Noah, is that we have a lineage for Noah. We know that Noah is not one of the Nephilim. He's not one of these heroes of old. So later on in chapter 6, we see that of all of the earth, the wickedness was so great. However, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 8, we see that. So, and then later on, um, in verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So, walking faithfully with God, just as Enoch did. It's an interesting um, note there, that of all of the people, he's the only one mentioned to be similar to Enoch, walking faithfully with God. There's all these Nephilim, who have, at least some of them are out there, who have a more divine parentage, and yet are still, they're certainly not doing well. Um, by what God would want. I mean, and it's so corrupt. Um, in chapter, in verse 5 of this chapter, we see the, the following. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's pretty bad. Um, verse 6 continues, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So <clears throat> we see it's bad, but there is a bright ray of hope. There is Noah. Um, so we've sequenced, we've, we've gotten from Adam to Noah. We've provided a change in context. Things have gotten really bad. We even have these great heroes of old who apparently are contributing. They certainly aren't solving the problem at least. Um, but it's so bad that something drastic has to be done. Um, so just to recap quickly, I wanted to reiterate um, the Nephilim, why are they mentioned here? I, I think it's to provide context for what the world was like for that vantage point. Um, there were great heroes of old walking the earth at that time and continued. And despite that, or despite their great strength and renown, the earth was full of wickedness. It may be even because of it. You know, if you think you can handle everything on your own, you tend to fall away from what God's plan would be for you. They're separated um, from God. And the people were separated from God at the time. But remember Axiom 7, God always has a backup plan. He is going to destroy all the earth except the one family whose leader is blameless. So God is going God has a backup plan. In in verse 13 we hear, So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. 
but the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So retribution, but here's his backup plan. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Again, NIV version of that. So we see God has his backup plan already there. Um, the plan is dangerous because it requires Noah to do a lot of hard work and not knowing what the end will be. But God does explicitly give Noah instructions, very detailed instructions. In Genesis 14 to 16, um, we see continuing that. Sorry, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Incredibly precise measurements there. A cubit is about a foot and a half. Uh, it's the length of a forearm. So, and then he's also supposed to make it with lower and upper decks. Um, make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all the way around. Put in the side of the arc put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. So again, very detailed, oriented instructions, precise. By the way, side note, um, why talk about cubits? Um, cubits were, of course, the measurement of the time, the standard measurement, the length of, the of a person's forearm. Now, of course, that varies from person to person, but it's really kind of useful because you don't need a fancy tape measure, which people didn't have, or a yardstick, which people didn't have. Um, but you always had your forearm on you. So you could measure things. And so this kind of hints at God understands the context we're in, and he speaks to us in a way that we can hear it and make use of it. So God also commands Noah to bring mating pairs of all living creatures and to get enough food for everyone and everything, um, as we know. Um, and we end this story, this part of the story of Noah, the transition and the setup leading up to the flood with the following words from God. In Genesis 6.22, we hear, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So, very active, very participatory, um, but very interesting as well. So, just remember axiom two, that communication build, built and maintains the world. God communicated to Noah, and Noah, that communication was then put into action successfully by Noah. God is maintaining the world yet again through communication. He's cleaning it drastically, and we'll see more about that in the next time. But we see God communicating and using people to get his work done. Thank you for your time, and I hope to see you again soon.